So I'm, I'm going to read actually from verse 17 of chapter 3. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wing, its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves, Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Somber words, but also encouraging words, and we'll look at look at that tonight. Just a quick introduction. Many of you will have been to previous uh, sermons in this series. Malachi is a book written about four hundred years before Jesus Christ was born. That's 400 years before his first coming. It was written to a people, the people of God, to Israel, who'd recently returned from exile. They'd been exiled because of their sin, because of their waywardness. And now God is bringing them back. He's showing his compassion. He's showing them his mercy. Because he's compassionate. Because he's merciful to his people to those who know their need, to those who call out to him. And so they were returning home. But that's not how they saw it. it they, were rather, they were rather like the Israelites when they left Egypt. They started complaining. I mean, here, here's God bringing them back, but here, they're, they're complaining. Maybe that's similar for us sometimes. And so that you could summarise Malachi as addressing two questions. 
Does God love us? First question. So if you look at verse 2 of chapter 1, uh, the Lord says through Malachi, I have loved you. But you ask, how have you loved us? So they're questioning God's love. And he says, I have loved you. I I have loved Jacob. He uses that image of Jacob, the wayward one. I love the wayward one who comes back. And really he turns the question around and he says, it's you that don't love me. It's you that don't love me. And he gives evidence of this. Verse 6, a son honours his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me? So the Lord says, I love you, but actually, you're not really showing your love yourself. Look at, look at, look at how things are. The priests are not doing what they're called to do. You're not living well together, um, divorced. You're, you're in, unjust. You don't care for the widows. You know, the problem's not with me, says the Lord. The problem's really with you. So that's the first question. Does God love us? He does. Do the people? Not really. Second question is, is God just? Does it make any difference? if we live righteously or not. So if you look at the end of chapter 2, it ends, where is this God of justice? Where is this God of justice? All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. You know, what is God really just? And so, really the answer to that one is... Uh, of course I am just, but watch out. You're not very just. I need to refine you. I need to bring a messenger. I need to prepare you, or else it's a day of wrath. Okay. He says, live out being the people of God. Return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me. That's to repent. We're called to repent. Live out the way you've called us to, to live and I will bless you, he says. He says, I'm a God of blessing. People thought it was pointless to serve the Lord. But no, he says, there's a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, as we saw. Between those who serve God or those who fear God and those who do not. And there is a people amongst the people of God, a remnant, if you like, who have heard this, who are returning, who are repenting, who fear him, who seek to honour him. And we read read last week um, that their names are written in the book of life, to use the image from Revelation. Or here in verse 6 of chapter 3, a scroll of remembrance. The Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows who are his. And the Lord describes himself as a tender father. He will spare his people, those who turn to him. Um, 
You know, as high as the heavens, so great is the love of, the, of God towards us, as Psalm 103 puts it. We are his treasured possession, verse 17. We need to repent and turn to him. But really the rest of Malachi is a, is a looking forward now to the day when there will be that distinction very clearly demonstrated between the righteous and the unrighteous. We don't see that now. We don't see that clarity. But surely the day is coming, starts our chapter. Surely, definite. You know, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when there's a point needing to be emphasised, he said that. And it's the same here. Malachi is saying, there will be a day. It's absolutely certain. Um. Okay. So really, we're going to split our section into three. As the NIV has it, the three different paragraphs. Okay? And we'll take them in turn. So the question of the first paragraph is really, what is the day like? What is the day like? The first image we have is it will burn like a furnace. It's a day of destruction. But that's not the only image. It's not the only thing we're told about that day. It's also a day of delight. For you, in verse 2, who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, And so on. So it's one day, uh, and there are two responses to who the Lord is, which will mean there are two destinations, two experiences of the day when the Lord comes. So firstly, the forest fire, this furnace. I think we're supposed to imagine um, a very dry sort of... uh, you know, like, like you hear on the news every, so every, every few years about Australia and forest fires. They're very dry and suddenly something causes them to light and that absolutely devastates the area. It's a total destruction, a hot furnace-like day at this fire. Not a root or a branch will be left. That whole idea of fire destroying not even the roots. That's sucked up. So it's a terrible image, a shocking image. It's supposed to be shocking. And who, what kind of people are described? What, who is this day for? It says, uh, the second sentence, all the arrogant and every evildoer. All the arrogant, people who Arrogant. And if you turn back to chapter 3, verse 13, just on the next side, there are actually some people of the Lord um, who have spoken arrogantly. They say it's futile to serve God. If people say that sort of thing, they're not going to serve him. They're not going to, to live for him. And so there is a, is a warning here for those who haven't fleed to Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, the second image is for those who revere my name, verse 2. That's the same people, those who, who seek to serve the Lord. Not perfectly, but those who honour God, who know who God is, and who, who are turning back, who are repenting, who will say, Lord, help me to live your way. Um, he will spare them. God has compassion. He gives us these challenging, shocking images so that we would be warned, so that we would return. So what's the day like for them? I think I could say for us who fear his name. The sun of righteousness, verse 2, will rise with healing in its rays. Sun, warmth. Clarity, light, healing, goodness. That sort of an image. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. It's a heat, but it's a different kind of heat that we're being showed here. Christ is the light of the world. If he has worked in your heart, you have his light in you. And it will continue and continue to shape you from one degree of glory to another. This is a day when Christ's promise in us, which is formed but not fully realised, will be revealed in its glory. It's a wonderful day for people who fear the Lord. Then the second image we are given is this. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Another sort of image we sort of think about, I suppose, in a city existence. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's a picture of contentment, well-fed calves. It's an image as well as they've been almost penned in and they're let out. They're suddenly free. It's good. It's a lovely image. I think the closest thing I can think about it, and many of us have witnessed today, is like at the end of junior church, when, when the kids kind of suddenly let out and they run and run <coughs> to get the drinks. And, and it's a bit like that. It's a joyous sort of been hemmed in it's, it's, it's a release it's, it's a good image okay um, um, but there's rejoicing you, you know frolics enjoy, celebration it's a great day of celebration then we have this next uh, point you will trample on the wicked they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, said the Lord Almighty. I think these verses are quite hard for us in our culture to kind of get. We're not really oppressed by the wicked. And so we don't long for the day when the wicked will be humbled and the righteous raised up. 
This would be very encouraging to many of our brothers and sisters around the world. God will act. There will be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, those who serve God and those who do not. One just reflection. I think our culture, we try to almost divide and we're encouraged by the culture to divide the day of salvation from the day of judgment. We sort of try and separate them. But you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. The obvious classic example is Christ, who was judged, who suffered, that we might be set free. So our salvation required judgment. The two come together because God is just. I'll leave that as that. So these are a shocking, a shocking image and an encouraging image. It's rather like when you throw stones to alert somebody or something. It's kind of uncomfortable, especially if you get hit. But, but we sometimes need that. We need to be shaken. And, you know, it's the same in the New Testament. It's the same for us as believers. Listen to what, what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So this is a word for us. Don't, don't fall from your secure position, your faith in Christ. Or as it's put a few verses later, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Um, and as we encourage each other, we won't. God is merciful and God is gracious. That day can be good news for us. And we might be thinking, well, you know, it's a long time coming. It's a long time coming. 2 Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He will come again. It is worth putting him first tomorrow, the next day, the next day until he comes. So there is a day coming. That's the first paragraph. The second section is is a bit like, well, meanwhile, until that day, what's what's life about? What are we to do? While we wait for that day. And of course, this is framed in a way for the Israelites so they could understand. So we'll have to do a little bit of unpicking to see what it means for us today. But let's read it, verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Remember. Okay. We are called to follow what the Lord would have us do, to be obedient. A daily obedience. That's what the people of God were always called to do. The prophets always called people to return to the Lord and to follow his way. They were, some described as covenant enforcers. They helped the people get back to the Lord. They pointed out the Lord's mercy and they said, now live as if God is God. As if God is God. And so for the people of the time, it was remembering the covenant. 
It was remembering, you know, the Pentateuch, Genesis, yeah, the first books of the Bible, the law that they were to, called to live by. And for us, it's, it, it is that. It's, slight, it's slightly different as well. Because even Moses himself said this in Deuteronomy 18.15 The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and you must listen to him. Okay? So Moses is anticipating somebody else who will come whom you must listen to. And for us who live this side of Jesus' first coming, that is Jesus. That is Jesus. So our call, while we wait for the Lord's second coming, we'll come to the two comings in a moment, we are to follow what Jesus calls us to do. The law of love. Putting him first. Learning of him. Meditating on his word. Sitting at his feet, as Mary um, did. Um, okay. Interesting, well, we have Moses and Elijah. We have Elijah coming up in a minute. And I always seem to get sermons which have these two. In, but, uh, but I will take you to the Transfiguration briefly. Um, because remember there, those two, Moses and Elijah, kind of recede into the background. And God the Father says, this is my son, Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to him. And that's the call for us, his people. While we wait for that day that is surely coming, we are to follow the Lord and his ways. Um, we can think of New Testament ways of putting that. Uh, the Apostle Peter in his first letter says, Jesus Christ will come, therefore, as obedient children. Don't conform any longer to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Be holy as he is holy. Or the Apostle Paul in Romans, cast aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to repent, to trust Christ and to live for him in his strength and he will help us and we will fall and we'll turn back and we'll fall. But we're called, we're not called to do nothing. We're called in his spirit to live for him, to remember his words and law. Um, just checking if I wrote something down that I want to say and whether I'm going to say it now or later. can't seem to find where I've written it down so I'll say it now um, will I? Think, think, think think of the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount Matthew 5-7 to it's very similar to some of the things we see here there's a distinction those who hear his voice and act out what he calls us to do are considered wise. They're like people who've built their house on a rock. So when the destruction comes, it will stand. 
This is the end of the Old Testament. And again, we've got this warning. How are you listening? How are you hearing? And it's exactly the same in Revelation at the end of the New Testament. There are these two destinations we're called um, to turn to Christ. Have a think about that. I haven't expressed that particularly clearly. Okay, so the day is coming. Uh, we're called to live in obedience till that day. And then we've got this third and final paragraph, uh, which I, I've called signs along the way. Signs along the way. Before that day. Let me read it. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So it's as if the Lord through Malachi is saying before that day, that day of my coming, I'll do something. I will send Elijah, an Elijah figure and he will do something. Malachi is not the last prophet uh, in the Old Testament model John the Baptist is. And it's worth saying these are quite hard verses to understand, I think. We'll look at these this last section. Um, but it's very clear in the New Testament that John the Baptist is considered the Elijah who was to come. So I'll give you one example. In Luke chapter 1, the angel announces to Zechariah, that's the father of John the Baptist, before he's born, before John is born, uh, the angel says this about John. He will bring back many of the people of Israel, sorry, this is uh, Luke 1, 16 and 17, I think. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord. So it's very similar images. So what will God, what will the Lord do before the For the final coming, he will send the Elijah, who will prepare the people. But we can step back to Elijah on Mount Carmel, which many of you, I think, will know. And there was a clear demonstration of who God was, and he called the people to repent. But many people didn't turn back to God. And in some ways, John the Baptist's ministry in some ways, was like that. He he somehow didn't have the power to call people back to repentance. But he prepared for the one who did have the power. The one who had the power to change our hearts. It's rather like often in in prophecy, you get, um, as it were, you're, you're looking from a long way away and things are sort of compressed together, events that are actually apart, sort of pushed together. It's rather like um, 
It's perhaps walking in a, in a beautiful mountains of Scotland or whatever, or, or the Himalayas, and you look to the horizon, you see all these hills, and they all seem to be about the same distance, you know, they seem to be together. But when you get close, they're slightly further apart. Um, but, so note the confidence though. There, there is success. This Elijah figure will be successful. He will turn the hearts of the parents of their children, etc. So hearts will be changed before the day, the final day of the coming of the Lord. Hearts will be changed. Young, old, transformed, built into the people of God. And is that not what God is doing today through his Son? Amongst us? Amongst all nations? Is he not bringing a people of repentance? A people who fear him? And he has promised he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The work that Elijah, uh, sorry, Malachi foresaw is happening. It's happening. It's happening amongst us. It's happening in the world. God is merciful. He's not only sparing Israel, he's sparing people from every tribe, nation and tongue. So, it won't be just this fiery image that day. I'm running out of time. Ish. But we, we must hear that warning. We must hear the warning. It's a strong warning. Are we revering the Lord? Are we turning to him? The people, people of Malachi were pretty hardened to God. That's may not be you, but be, watch out. Hear the warnings. We need to constantly look to Christ. For those of you, for us who revere his name, that day the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. You will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. It's good news. It's good news. He is surely coming. Jesus himself said he would come back. He came in two comings, like those two mountains that Malachi's almost seen together. But there is a day coming. It is worth serving Jesus today, tomorrow, until he comes. It's worth meditating on his word, following him, encouraging one another. For he will surely, surely come. What the people of Malachi's day could only dream of, we have seen something of. We've seen the promised Messiah. We've seen him coming. We've seen his great salvation. We've seen that he freely forgives all who turn to him. We've seen something of the work of the Spirit in our hearts transforming us. And he will come again. This is the message of the end of Malachi. This is God's great mercy to a needy world. So, three paragraphs. He will surely come. Meanwhile, let's live out our calling to be worthy of that day. 
And let's see the signs. God has shown the signs. We live in privileged times. We see that this is coming true. So perhaps if we take a few moments just to ponder some of those things, keep your Bibles open, and then in a little bit Kitty will come up and I think we'll pray or, or, or sing. The Lord bless this word to us.